Today on the Matt Wall Show, a Democrat senator claims that the United States invented slavery. Uh, this seems to be a common view uh, on, on the left, and it's nonsense, of course. An honest look at, at history shows that uh, white people, Americans or Europeans, certainly didn't invent slavery and don't carry unique guilt for the sin of slavery. So today I want to, I wanna, since, since uh, they brought it up, I want to have an honest conversation about slavery and take an honest look at the history of it. I think that's important to do. If we, if we want to be, if we want to understand it and its legacy and its effect on people today, then we need to take an honest look at it. We're going to do that today. Also, five headlines, including a vicious assault on an elderly woman by a man who has been arrested up to a hundred times already. This guy's walking around, been arrested a hundred times already, and, uh, and now is assaulting old women. Um, and in our daily cancellation, I will be canceling the public apology. We have we have seen, yesterday we saw maybe the worst public apology yet. And I think it's time to cancel public apologies altogether. All of that coming up. But we begin with this. Democrat Senator Tim Kaine proved yesterday that millennials are not the only ones who've never read a history book. Uh, when he stood on the floor of the Senate to denounce America's invention of slavery. Here's what he had to say. We need to ban racial and religious profiling. We need to hold police officers and police departments accountable for violent, reckless behavior. We need to promote better training and professional accreditation of police departments. Madam President, why do we demand that universities maintain accreditation to receive federal funds, but make no such demand of law enforcement agencies? And we need to do much more within the criminal justice system, but also within all of our systems, to dismantle the structures of racism that our federal, state, and local governments carefully erected and maintained over centuries. We know a little bit about this in Virginia. The first African Americans in into the English colonies came to Point Comfort, Virginia in 1619. They were slaves. They'd been captured against their will. But they landed in colonies that didn't have slavery. There were no laws about slavery in the colonies at that time. The United States didn't inherit slavery from anybody. We created it. It got created by the Virginia General Assembly and the legislatures of other states. It got created by the court systems in colonial America and sense that enforced fugitive slave laws. It was, we created it. And we created it and maintained it over centuries. And in, in my lifetime, we have finally stopped some of those practices, but we've never gone back to undo it. Stopping racist practices at year 350 of 400 years, but then taking no effort to dismantle them is not the same as truly combating racism. But I'm mindful of the challenge laid down by our young people. No more politics as usual. Yeah, you got to love when politicians who've been in office since like the War of 1812 come out and denounce politics as usual. Enough politics as usual. You want to talk about who invented things. These are the people who invented politics as usual. You are politics as usual. Uh, but anyway, Kane says the United States didn't inherit slavery from anybody. We created it. Tracing our alleged creation of slavery back to 1619, over 150 years before the United States actually was founded. The most generous possible interpretation of this seemingly incoherent remark is that the United States created slavery in the United States. So this would be true, of course, in a certain way, but by the, by the same logic, 
You could say that the United States created the wheel and irrigation and agriculture and Chinese food, right? In that none of these things existed in the United States before the United States existed. In other words, the United States uh, created its own version of all these things in, in a certain way, you might say. That would be an accurate statement, but also weirdly redundant and unnecessary. And when it comes to the good stuff, like, you know, irrigation and, and the wheel and, and other innovations, you would never hear someone like Tim Kaine try to give us credit for inventing those things in any sense at all. Yet with slavery, he's going to do that. The more obvious and direct interpretation of, the, uh, of Tim Kaine's remarks there is that he believes, or at least wants us to believe, that the institution of slavery itself was designed and implemented originally by Americans. And many people in this country, especially college students, really do seem to be under that impression. I, I would wager that if you went to one of these protests and polled the protesters, 90% of them would, would say that slavery is unique to America, or at least Europeans. In fact, um, a, a university professor a few years ago um, wrote something talking about he, he, polled, he polled students, or for years he had been polling, polling students on their historical knowledge, and he found that a vast majority of his students hold this very belief, that slavery is unique to our country, and that we carry um, almost all of the blame for it as white Americans. This is the message sent loud and clear by the mobs tearing down statues and BLM activists demanding that white people kneel and apologize before them and leftists who degrade Western civilization and its achievements. White Westerners, it is said, have a unique reason to apologize. They are, they are the descendants of history's greatest villains and any, any discussion of historical atrocities should begin and end with them. That's the way it normally goes. And this, again, is nonsense. For one thing, before we even get into the history of slavery, nobody is responsible for the actions of their ancestors. And, and one man cannot and should not apologize to another man for events that occurred before both of them were born. Apology is not the way to go. To apologize to something is to take responsibility for it. If you apologize for something, you're taking responsibility for it. You're taking ownership of it. But you obviously cannot take responsibility and ownership of things that were done at a time when you didn't exist, clearly. We could discuss the legacy of these events. We could discuss how they still affect people today. But nobody involved in the conversation today has any reason for guilt or remorse with respect to slavery. Empathy and understanding are one thing and a good thing. But there's nothing good about falling to your knees and begging forgiveness for actions you never took and decisions that you never made. At best, this is performative self-flagellation. At worst, it is sincere and delusional self-loathing. Either way, in either case, it is not healthy and it is not good. For another thing, the United States did not invent slavery or racism, by the way. Um, white Europeans didn't invent it either. If, if the guilt of slavery can be inherited from one generation to another, I don't think it can. But if it can be, then we've all inherited it. We are all stained by it. Nobody, nobody in that case would be innocent. 
The institution of slavery goes back 10,000 years or more to the Neolithic Revolution. As long as human society has had agriculture, it has had slaves forced to do the work. And as we just established, America didn't invent agriculture either. either. The soil on every continent on Earth, except for Antarctica, has been tilled by slaves everywhere. Slavery was a common and almost unquestioned practice everywhere, all over the world, among nearly all people for thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands of years. Now, if Europeans did not invent slavery, um, can they be at least blamed for the formation of the slave trade? You hear that sometimes. Well, no. Slaves were traded as commodities as far back as ancient Egypt or before. Um, For centuries before the transatlantic slave trade, Arab traders would conduct their own raids into, um, uh, into Africa, and they would capture African villagers and ship them back to the Arabian Peninsula for sale. Was slavery in the United States or the colonies more brutal or more inhumane than other iterations of the practice? Again, no. No. It was brutal and inhumane, yes. Um, But it would be hard to argue that it was worse morally than the forms of slavery common across the globe. For example, in the uh, sub-Saharan slave trade established about 1,000 years before the United States came into being, uh, so, you know, 700, year 700 or 800 AD, um, young boys were routinely castrated and then, and then sold into forced labor in Asia, Middle East, or within Africa itself. It's worth noting, speaking of slavery in Africa, that slavery in Africa was not fully abolished on the continent until 1981. That's when the last... Um, African country abolished slavery. Can we at least blame Americans or Europeans for bringing slavery to North America? When we're looking for the unique guilt part of it, uh, is is that where we can go? Can we say that, uh, okay, they they brought us to North America, but before, you know, they they sullied and stained North America with with slavery, whereas before it didn't exist. Once again, no. Uh, Slavery was commonplace in the Americas well before European settlers showed up, well before. Native American tribes enslaved each other, often by conquest and capture. This was a normal part of of the culture and life of many Native American tribes. Now, those who wish to make the the, the slavery practiced by Europeans seem appreciably worse than other forms will often claim that Native American slavery was more humane uh, and that it wasn't permanent and those sorts of things. Now, this may be true in some cases, but certainly not all. In, uh, you know, in the Mesoamerica region, uh, a slave m- may have escaped slavery. You know, sla- his term of slavery may have come to an end at a certain point, but oftentimes his period of enslavement would end when he was ritualistically butchered as a human sacrifice, which was a widespread practice in the region for hundreds of years. Don't listen to anyone who tells you that human sacrifice in this part of the world was, was, was uncommon or it had, you know, was a, sort of a fringe practice, happened every once in a while. It was a common part of life um, across that part of the world for hundreds of years. Uh, you know, the, uh, the Chimu in, in modern-day Peru carried out the worst mass sacrifice of children ever to occur on Earth, as far as we know, up to this point. Over 140 children were slaughtered, probably by having their hearts ripped out of their chest while they were still alive. We know about this because we found 
recently the mass graves of all the children. Um, in, an, in another particularly grisly episode, the Aztecs killed and dismembered 84,000 human beings in four days to christen the, uh, a new temple that had just been erected. 84,000 people. Think about that. In four days. And this is before they had modern weaponry. This is one of the worst mass slaughters ever conducted anywhere on earth at any point in history. And they did it without modern weaponry. You just think about the, the, the brutality of that. And not just brutality, but the, the systematic brutality. Think about how, how systematic and efficient you would have to be in killing people to kill 84,000 people by hand in four days. Uh, now, granted, not all of these sacrifices would have been slaves, but the point is that this was not a civilization unfamiliar with brutality and inhumanity, to put it mildly. In fact, Native Americans took part in African slavery as well. They don't, you know, this is a part of another, another aspect of history they don't tell you about in schools because they don't tell you much. By the time of the Civil War, 15% of the Cherokee population was comprised of black slaves. And Indian tribes could be quite brutal to their black slaves as well. In one case, um, in one documented case, just as an example, a black slave named uh, Lucy um, was accused of murder and then burned alive by an angry mob of Choctaws because she was, it, was, it was claimed that she had uh, killed someone. Okay, so this is the kind of treatment that black slaves in, in uh, Native American tribes could, could expect to receive. I'm not arguing that the slavery practiced by white Americans was you know, less bad just because everybody else was doing it. So it was one of the first things you learn as a kid. Just because everyone's doing something doesn't make it okay. Um, especially when it's one of the most horrific evils in the history of mankind, slavery doesn't make it okay just because everyone's doing it. Slavery in America was a horrid abomination, um, which is why we rightly celebrate its abolition. An abolition that, that came, we should note, only 90 years after the formation of the country. The United States as a nation had legal slavery for less than a century. Now, for comparison's sake, China had slavery for 3,000 years before it was officially abolished, and that didn't happen until the 20th century. And unofficially, it goes on to this very day in China, and in many other parts of the world, in fact. This, again, does not lessen the brutality of American slavery, doesn't mitigate the evil of the institution, but it does go to show that, that the exclusive focus on slavery in America and the insistence that white Americans have inherited unique guilt because of it is simply wrong. And I think that you know we, we have talked so much about the legacy of slavery in this country and the legacy of, of racism by, by white people in this country. I mean, th this is a conversation we've had over and over again, and, and uh, we will continue to have. I just think at, at a certain point, once we've established that there were a lot of racist, terrible white people and, and they, they owned slaves and it was awful, and you know, we, I think everybody agrees with that, and we're going to continue to have that conversation. I'm not even saying we should stop having that conversation, but at a certain point, can we introduce the other civilizations on earth? I mean, are we allowed to ever bring that up? If there ever comes a time, you know, when we are ready to have a mature, nuanced discussion of slavery and of racism and of their legacies in the modern day, which I think would be a very worthwhile conversation to have, and I would be eager to participate in it. 
know, after all, we can't understand where we are. We can't understand where we're going um, until we know where we've been, right? That's a, a cliche, but it's true. If, you're, if you don't know history, you're doomed to repeat it. Yeah, you know, all the, we could go into all the cliches. All of them basically true. But this discussion is only possible and can only be worthwhile if we look at history with a wider lens, if we understand the context of the institutions and the attitudes that we rightly reviled today. If we have already decided from the outset that whatever happened in history, white people must have been especially bad and the evil they committed must have been unique to them, then there's no point. We can't have a discussion. It can't go anywhere. We are like children then making reality into a cartoon. But if we are prepared to look honestly at our history as a species and see that we are all the descendants of deeply flawed human beings who were often brutal and bigoted to each other and who until very recently had no concept of inherent human equality and little notion of racial tolerance but who also struggled mightily and made great sacrifices and achieved great things for our sake, then perhaps we can have a fruitful dialogue. But only then, only then, when we're ready to be mature and nuanced in this discussion, can any good come of it. Uh, and, And that's my point. Let's move on to your news headlines for the day. Uh, Number one, a man named Rashid Brimage, 31 years old, has been arrested now for doing this. That is a 92-year-old woman that he randomly shoved, and she fell and hit her head on a fire hydrant. Thank God it looks like she's going to be okay, physically at least, maybe not emotionally. Brimage, though, is an old veteran of getting arrested. He's um, He's been, you know, down this road many times before. Depending on which news report you've read, he's been arrested already anywhere between 60 and 100 times for oftentimes serious crimes. He's a sex offender on top of it. And he's still walking around. So with, you know, with all this focus on, um, even, even from, from Trump, on police reform and prison reform, how about this problem? How about the problem of having violent sociopaths still walking around in our communities? Despite the fact that we know that they're violent sociopaths and they've already been arrested before for it. How about the problem of of the system, of the prison system, the court system, releasing back into the public people who it knows are dangerous and who it knows will almost certainly victimize more people in the future? How about that problem? Why not some focus on that? How about some focus on that from from conservatives? How about some focus on that from from Trump? And I don't just mean tweeting law and order in all caps, like an impotent weakling. And then you go out and, and, you know, the first thing he does yesterday, he gives us an executive order on police reform. You think that's the the main thing we need right now? How about an executive order designating Antifa a, a domestic terrorist organization? I mean, for all the credit this guy gets for, he doesn't appease the left. He appeases the left all the time. That, that's, the, that's the dirty little secret about Donald Trump. Yeah, he doesn't appease them with his tweets, sure. But with what he, what he does, with his actual actions, he's constantly appeasing them. And it's not just them. It's just, it, there are very few people who have the courage to talk about this problem. 
which is crazy because it's, it's one of the most popular positions you could actually take. It might not be popular with the, the morons in the media and with far left activists, and it might not be pop- popular with the, you know, the Black Lives Matter organization or Antifa, but with, with, just, with just average citizens taking a position that dangerous, violent, known sociopaths who have already committed crimes should be off of our streets permanently, that's a position that would get widespread approval from, from nearly every average normal citizen. Instead, we get prison reform, police reform. That's everything we're trying to reform. This isn't some kind of isolated incident, okay? It's not like Rashid Brimage is the only dangerous, violent, known sociopath walking around the streets casually committing crimes because he has no conscience and no soul. There are, there are many in this category. Because we, we, we want to talk about all the, you know, how, how, how supposedly inhumane and brutal our court system is. Uh, you know, it's, I, I think it's, it's normally inhumane and brutal to the citizens, which is supposed to be protecting, releasing them back into the public. You want more examples of that? Just go look at your sex offender registry. Look at your, look at your, your local sex offender registry to see where all the sex offenders are in your neighborhood. If you haven't done that, you should do it, especially if you have kids. Um, and what you're going to find are you, you have a lot of people that are flagged as being high-risk sex offenders who have committed violent sexual crimes, oftentimes against children, and they're in the community. You know, they're just living down the street. The hell are they doing in the community? Why aren't they behind bars forever? Why do you ever let them out? Now, if there's any justice, Rashid Brimage, on his 100th arrest, or 60th arrest, whatever it is, you lose count at a certain point, um, if there's any justice at all, this would be it for him. He, He would never see the outside of a prison cell ever again. But there's no justice. We know he'll be back on the street. If he's not already out on bail, uh, he'll, he'll, you know, he'll get maybe a couple of years in jail, maybe, if not a suspended sentence, probation. That's what's going to happen. Number two, um, I just, uh, I want to show you this. I think you'll be inspired by it, by it, same as I was. Here's a tweet from Joe Biden. It says, we need a president who chooses unity over division. Wow. That is remarkable. Uh, r- real bravery there, you know, to come out and say that. I just, I want, I thought it, it deserves its own headline. To have someone who's willing to come out and say that, who's willing to say, you know what? I want unity, not division. I'm pro unity, anti division. Great stuff. You know, this is why we need this guy as president. Number three, the Hill reports. Um, Several major airlines are moving to end or temporarily suspend some alcoholic beverage services in response to the coronavirus outbreak. CNN reported that several European airlines, as well as Delta and American Airlines, are moving to cut back on service of alcohol beverages. Both Delta and American Airlines have ended beverage services on domestic flights, while some international flights may see uh, services restricted as well. They're basically just trying to make the flying experience. These airlines, they get together. Uh, you know, I, I'm, I'm convinced they get together in a room. You know, it's like a conspiracy. And they do this once a month or once every two months. And they just think of additional things they can do to make flying as miserable for everyone involved. Uh, as, as miserable as it, as it possibly can be. And they're very innovative in that way. You almost respect it. So this is just the latest in that effort. Number four. Now let's check in with um, the autonomous zone in Seattle. Uh, well, let's just see what's going on over there. Here's, here's the latest. 
Okay. There it is. That's what they're doing. Nothing wrong with that. Orange peel over the face, doing karate at an imaginary person. Nothing wrong with it. I won't judge. You know, got to spend the time somehow. Number five, finally, uh, I know I already inspired you with the Joe Biden thing, but I wanted to inspire you again, if you don't mind. If you, if you tolerate being inspired twice in the span of just a couple of minutes, it might be a little bit of, a, of an overload. But uh, my friend Ali Stuckey reached out a few days ago, and uh, she said she was put, putting this together. I'm going to play it for you in a second. But she had this project in mind. She wanted to put it together, and she asked me if I'd be a part. She explained it to me, said, well, I'd be a part of it. And I listened, and I just knew right away that it was something that I needed to be involved in. Um, and I'm going to play this for you. Uh, now, you, just fair warning. You might not like everything that you hear in this. Uh, you might not like everything that we have to say. And it took, frankly, a lot of boldness and courage on our part to speak out in this way, um, saying the things that we say here. But someone had to do it. And so that, that's what this is really about. It, it's, it's about someone finally standing up, doing what needs to be done and saying what needs to be said. And uh, here it is. Imagine a world without injustice. A world where we can all bravely say. Injustice is bad. Racism is bad. Very bad. Like super bad until we're there i'll be the one to stand up to stand up and say this bad things are bad they're awful and i don't like them i will say something i will shout i will sing until until the bad is gone i will fight injustice by posting a black square a black Square. I will offer solutions. Solutions. Like taking away guns or defunding the police. Like telling working class people just to stop working, to save lives. Promoting socialism so no one will ever be as rich as I am. Finally stopping big oil and the big SUV, big, big companies, okay? But we won't stop there. We will take responsibility. Responsibility. The only way we know how. By showing how much we hate ourselves. We hate ourselves. I will. I will. Reduce my pool time by five minutes a day. Give up, chicken nuggets. I will stop. Wait a minute. Shave my eyebrows off. I'll do it just like completely. Throw myself into a volcano. Waterboard myself with gasoline, peel my skin off with a cheese grater, and lock myself in a box full of scorpions, and launch myself into the sun. Join us. Join us. And let's change the world. Yeah. Um, I'm just going to pause for a minute. Just, I, you know, I, 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 I want to give you a second to let that soak in, uh, to, to, to really think about that. Uh, and it's okay, you know, if, if you want to go back and watch it again, you can do that. It's, it's not every day that you see something life-changing. And so I don't want to trample all over it. But so let's just, let's just take a moment, pause for a moment, and really think about what you just saw. Yeah, I was just thinking about it again. I was thinking about what I said myself. And I was inspired by it myself. 
um, I, I sort of re-inspired myself by what I said. In, let me just say this. Because you watch that video and you think to yourself, man, these people, uh, especially Matt, let's just focus on me for a second. Matt is standing up and saying these things. You know, He's getting up and saying injustice is bad. Racism is bad. He's speaking out about all the bad things. Okay, A lot of people are going to speak out against one or two bad things. But he's standing up and speaking out against every bad thing. Where does he get the courage to do that? Uh, why is he so willing to put himself on the line in this way? I know that's what you're thinking. That's the question you're asking. And, and you're thinking to yourself, is he a hero? You know, is he one of history's great heroes? The answer to that is yes. But I don't want you to think about the courage. Yes, there's a lot of courage involved. But here's what I want you to understand about me. Okay. And this is my humility talking for a second. It's not about courage. It's about my, my virtue in general. You see, I'm such a virtuous person that when I see injustice, okay, when I see racism, homophobia, ethnocentrism, when I hear someone making degrading remarks about other races and ethnicities, Asians, Native Americans, etc. I can't help myself but speak out. You see, every, every bone in my body is, is screaming out against it. I just can't stop myself. Sometimes I wish I could. You know, because I'm, I'm putting myself on the line so often speaking out against injustice. But, uh, so th- this is really just, I, I cannot stop myself from doing it. And, um, and, uh, and someone needs to. So thank God. Thank God for that. Thank God for me. Uh, thank God for, you know, everybody in that video to a lesser extent. And thank God for you that you were able to watch me. All right. Let's move on to your uh, daily cancellation. But before we do, um, speaking of, you know, let, let's, let's keep the inspire, let's keep uh, the inspiration going. Uh, I want to tell you about the Reader's Pass over at uh, dailywire.com. There's so much going on in the, in, in the world these days, a lot of news. And the, the unfortunate thing is that you, when, you're, when you're getting the news from the mainstream media, you have to, you have to sift, sift through all of the leftist bias and the, the narrative building that goes on, uh, which can be very difficult to do, which is why you need to get a reader's pass today from dailywire.com. You'll get access to exclusive op-eds from uh, your podcast hosts, as well as guest writers, in-depth analysis from our Daily Wire reporters on top of our regular breaking news as well. All of it very good. This membership tier is already a bargain at $3 a month, but you can get it now for $0.99 for the first month. Uh, You also get access to our mobile app. You receive push notifications for breaking news and special content. You can join our community of Daily Wire readers who uh, can comment and and discuss the content. That's mobile ad-free access to all of our Daily Wire news, exclusive op-eds, and more on our mobile app, all for the low price of $1. And best of all, your dollars are getting you the news you need without the left to spin. So go to dailywire.com slash subscribe and join today. Okay, today for our daily cancellation, we have one of the most deserving cancellations I have yet carried out. This one is uh, on Coach Mike Gundy of Oklahoma State University. He is canceled. He's canceled for what he did to avoid being canceled. So he tried to swerve around the cancellation, but he didn't realize there's another cancel truck coming, and then there was a head-on collision of... The, 
and this analogy isn't really going anywhere, but you get the point. Um, so background on this. Gundy faced backlash from the left and the media who tried to organize and foment the cancel mob because he recently went fishing wearing a shirt with the OAN logo, One America News, conservative news network. And apparently wearing this shirt to go fishing with a news organization's logo is an unforgivable sin. Now, the, the leftists were crying. Some of his players were crying about it. Uh, everybody was crying. And finally, Gundy recorded the requisite hostage video. Let's, uh, let's take a look at that. I had a great meeting with our team today. Our players expressed their feelings as individuals and as team members. They helped me see through their eyes how the t-shirt affected their hearts. Okay, can we just stop there for one second? I w- I'm going to play the entire thing. This is like another, this is round two of the cringe challenge. How the t-shirt affected their hearts. How did he even say that with a straight face? How many takes, how many takes did he have to do to get that line out with a straight face? How the t-shirt affected their hearts. All right, let's, let's just finish watching it. Once I learned how that network felt about Black Lives Matter, I was disgusted and knew it was completely unacceptable to me. I want to apologize to all members of our team, former players, and their families for the pain and discomfort that has been caused over the last two days. Black Lives Matter to me. Our players matter to me. These meetings with our team have been eye-opening and will result in positive changes for Oklahoma State football. I sincerely hope the Oklahoma State family near and far will accept my humble apology as we move forward. Pain and discomfort. Pain and discomfort caused by a t-shirt. And this is a football coach. A football coach. I mean, can you imagine how a football coach 30 years ago would have responded if his players were crying about a t-shirt they didn't like? I mean, even when I was in high school, you know, I, I just can't imagine as a kid going up to my football coach and saying, coach, I just want to tell you that shirt you're wearing, it's really hurtful to me. It's, it's, it's really offensive and hurtful, your t-shirt. I really don't like it. It really hurts my feelings. <laughs> um, the response from my coach would have involved a string of profanities, a number of choice insults, all of which would be questioning my manhood in no uncertain terms. And then I would have been invited to work off my, my emotions by doing push-ups and, and, uh, and running hills. And maybe it would have been suggested that some form of, um, you know, some form tackling drills uh, would help me. Drills where I stand in for the tackling dummy. That's how a football coach is supposed to respond. That's really the whole point of a football coach. The whole point, especially especially for you know kids in college, the whole point is for them to be tough and mean and not care about your feelings. That's the great service that they provide and have always provided to young men. If even now they're apologizing, I mean, if football coaches are now apologizing to these ridiculous babies who are offended by a news channel's logo, then we're doomed. There's there's just no hope. Um, Now, let me try to help out Mike Gundy here. Let me offer the correction that he should have offered to his players for their own sake. 
This is what he, he should have said. Um, and this is what anyone should say when the mob demands an apology. So here's the script, okay? Here it is. Uh, and, and this is my hostage video. This is my public apology video, sort of a form that you can use in the future if you're ever in a position where public apology is being demanded of you. This is what it should look like and sound like, and you can have your own variation of it, but, but this should be the basic idea. Hello. It has come to my attention that many of you are offended by something that I did or said. I have listened to your concerns. I have thought deeply about them. I want you to know from my heart, after careful consideration, that I don't care about your feelings at all or your fragile egos. I'm glad you were offended. I hope you suffer more offenses in the future. I will laugh at you while you suffer them. I would, in fact, rather jump into a wood chipper than apologize to you dumb, whiny babies. I am not sorry. I will never be sorry. And there is nothing you can ever do or say that will make me pretend to be sorry. In conclusion, kiss my ass. Thank you. That's the correct response. Okay, that, that is not just in this situation, but in any situation. The public apology as a genre should be abolished. Abolish the public apology. Private apologies are fine. I'm not saying never apologize for anything. Um, If you do something wrong to someone, if you hurt someone in some way, uh, and you feel genuine remorse for it, you know that you were wrong, then yes, you should apologize to that person. You go to that person individually, privately, you pull them aside, and you say, I'm really sorry for that. Uh, You know, I'll I'll try to be better in the future. So whatever you want to say. But apology as spectacle, apology as content for the public to consume, apologies to to whole masses of strangers, almost all of whom were completely unaffected by whatever you did or said that was supposedly offensive, and probably weren't even aware of it until you apologized for it, that needs to be done. That needs to end. That needs to not exist anymore. The only thing you should ever publicly apologize for anymore is publicly apologizing for something. I will accept a public apology for that. So Mike Gundy owes us another public apology for the apology that he just gave us, which 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 was uh, which was which hurt me because of how embarrassing it was to watch. And it also hurts me to see football, which is a cherished American institution, being destroyed by these oversensitive, thin-skinned babies. Who are now being coddled by the coaches that are supposed to be supposed to be uh, getting them into shape. So yeah, you want to apologize to that? That that, that could be the last public apology anyone ever issues. After that, we're done. There is no occasion for it. I've said this before. Even if I say something that I know is that that later I I realize is wrong. I mean, even if I say something that is offensive. And I, I, later on, I, on second thought, I think, oh, that was offensive. I'm still not going to apologize for it. I won't do it. It's not going to happen. Because you're not owed an apology. I hate to say it. You, whoever is out there watching this right now, what are you owed an apology for? What, what could I possibly say that would make me owe an apology to you? I, I'm, not, I'm, not, you're, you're, I'm not hurting you or affecting you in any way. The most I could do is just give an opinion that you don't like, even if it's a terrible opinion. Okay, so you heard an opinion you don't like. Get over it. Just move on with your life. 
don't owe you an apology. You weren't really hurt by that. If you were really hurt by it, then grow up. Same goes for me. Okay, if you're ever out in public and you and you you say you give an opinion and, and you know you later realize that oh I, I shouldn't have said that you don't have to apologize to me. What are you apologizing to me for? What is Mike Gundy apologizing to me for? He's a public apology. He's apologizing to everybody. The hell is he apologizing to me? I, I'm I'm not involved in this. The whole thing is ridiculous. Um. And it, it just it just needs to stop. And it's it's of course it's not sincere and genuine anyway. I mean, ex- extracting an apology from someone that you know they don't mean, you're forcing them to say it. What does that accomplish? Other than well, I know what it accomplishes for you as a person extracting the apology, makes you feel powerful. But that's that's the reason why even you know even if Mike Gundy decided that he was. Um, really wrong and remorseful for wearing a shirt, which he didn't. Okay, I don't believe that for a second. But even if he did, you know, you still don't apologize because the this is the demand for the apology is in bad faith. These are people who just want to feel power over you and just want to see you dancing to their tune. And you, you can't do that. So we need to be done with that. Uh, no more public apologies. If you have apology, if you have an apology for someone, offer it to them in private. And you know what? If you offer someone a private apology, and then they say, in order to accept this, I need you to say that publicly to everybody. I need you to record a hostage video and, and you know put it on Twitter. I need you to say it in front of a camera. Then if someone says that to you, if that's the response to a private apology you, you offered them, then, then you should retract the private apology and say, never mind, I'm not sorry. Um, screw you. Because then, then forget it. That, that's someone who's not worthy of an apology. If they're worthy of an apology and it's a sincere apology and there's a sincere moment of uh, opportunity for contrition, they will be happy with your private apology and they will move on. And uh, speaking of move on, we will wrap it up there for the show. Thanks for watching, everybody. Thanks for listening. Godspeed. If you enjoyed this episode, don't forget to subscribe. And if you want to help spread the word, please give us a five-star review. Tell your friends to subscribe as well. We're available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you listen to podcasts, we're there. Also, be sure to check out the other Daily Wire podcasts, including The Ben Shapiro Show, Michael Knowles Show, and The Andrew Clavin Show. Thanks for listening. The Matt Wall Show is produced by Sean Hampton, executive producer Jeremy Boring. Our supervising producers are Mathis Glover and Robert Sterling. Our technical producer is Austin Stevens, edited by Danny D'Amico, and our audio is mixed by Robin Fenderson. The Matt Wall Show is a Daily Wire production, copyright Daily Wire 2020. Hey everyone, it's Andrew Claven, host of The Andrew Claven Show, BLM. It stands for Black Leftists Matter, but the right is so dumb, it's buying into the narrative. Not on The Andrew Claven Show, so be there.